Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It's a miracle. We've got a normal lineup today. Good, bad, and crazy martinis. Glad you're with us on this Thursday. Your stool is ready for you. We're brought to you by caucusroom.com. More on them in just a little bit. And Jim, we've got a full slate for you today. Two of them dealing with the impending Georgia Senate runoffs and another one dealing with uh, what it might take to get back to normal. Or are we overreacting? We'll see about that in the second martini. But let's talk about the good martini. Um, We just mentioned yesterday that Tillerson, North Carolina, Sullivan, and Alaska declared the winners. So Republicans have at least 50 Senate seats heading into the new session. And there are two seats left outstanding, both in Georgia. Kelly Loeffler against Raphael Warnock and David Perdue against John Ossoff. And so there are going to be tight. Uh, the state is going to be carpet bombed by ads from now until January 5th. But there is a lot at stake here. And it does matter that Republicans win at least one and preferably both of these races. And I have a feeling that given who's going to show up, there's probably not going to be a ton of ticket splitters. So um, Republicans, get out there and make your voice heard. But Louisiana Senator John Kennedy was on uh, the Fox News Channel and made it very clear What's at stake in these runoffs, especially when it comes to who controls the U.S. Senate? If Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer and Senator Sanders and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez uh, win in Florida, in uh, rather Georgia, um, you've got nothing to worry about unless you are a uh, taxpayer, a business owner, uh, a parent, a cop a gun owner, a person of faith, or an unborn baby. You've got nothing to worry about if they get control of the United States Senate unless you care about the American dream. You've got nothing to worry about if they get control of the United States Senate uh, unless you believe in more freedom as opposed to more free stuff. And that's what's at stake. It is what's at stake. And uh, Jim, we talked about how Joe Manchin said he wouldn't kill the filibuster. But there's way more to what happens in the U.S. Senate over the next couple of years than just that, obviously. Uh, The Senate Majority Leader gets to decide what comes to the floor. Uh, They can try to pick off one or two Republicans to get some major pieces of legislation done, which we would heartily disagree with in virtually every circumstance. And so these Georgia races, while Georgia voters are going to get really tired of all the ads, probably, they do matter and they matter a lot. You know, Greg, I've been thinking about Joe Manchin a lot lately. Um, you know, earlier in the week, he'd said he sounded pretty emphatic when he said he was not going to vote for eliminating the filibuster or to pack the Supreme Court or, or any of that kind of stuff. And I, I want to believe him. I, I think I believe him. But if you think back to 2009, 2010, Republicans thought that while they'd gotten walloped in the, the Senate and Democrats had a big majority, they had enough votes And they also had the fact that a bunch of Democratic senators represented pretty red states and they thought that they would hold the line, at least on the worst parts of the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. And then we remember the Cornhusker kickback and then we remember the Louisiana Purchase. When you're the majority, you have a whole lot of goodies that you can offer somebody in your party if they're uh, starting to get reluctant. You also have a lot of ways to twist their arms. You have a lot of ways to threaten them. So... I don't know what Joe Manchin wants out of politics. He's going to be pretty powerful anyway. It shakes out. But, you know, maybe Chuck Schumer says, hey, we can give you a committee chairmanship that the other side won't give you. We can, you know, uh, allow whatever your perfect legislation is, whatever your perfect deal is, we can get that into the legislation if you 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 fold with us on this. If 
you know, Republicans win one or preferably both of these Senate seats, then, you know, the all of that scenario doesn't, you know, we don't have to worry about that. There's no reason to be concerned that Joe Manchin might, you know, I don't know, you want to put some, you know, some sort of you know, image of the snake tempting Adam and Eve or something like that. Chuck Schumer is not going to come along and say, hey, we can give you that committee chairmanship and the legislation you want uh, for your home state, uh, you know, or something like that. This closes the door on that. You know, and the other thing which is worth noting is, uh, you know, if you think a uh, 50-50 Senate, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, look, back in 2000, the Bush administration started with a Republican Senate, and then Jim Jeffords of Vermont decided, hey, I want to be a Democrat now, over the Northeastern Dairy Compact. And Greg, if there's any issue that you think of as really the, the most consequential of that era, it must be the Northeastern Dairy Compact, don't you think? Absolutely. Jim Jeffords got a Profiles and Courage Award for switching parties. Most people these days say, Jim Jeffords? Who? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> just keep that in mind. I don't think anybody who's in either party looks like a particularly strong candidate to, to switch parties right now, but you just never know. And it's one of those where a 52 to 48 Senate really doesn't uh, give the Republicans too much reason for worry. A 50-50 Senate, then you just don't know what's going to happen. And it depends on who's sick that day and who, whose plane was late and can they get into Washington. Life just gets a lot more complicated for Republicans if they only have 50 seats. Yes, young listeners, there was technically a Republican senator from Vermont this century. Now, I say technically because Jim Jeffords didn't spend a ton of time voting for Republican uh, issues along the way, but he did caucus with the Republicans until just after the tax cuts passed in the uh, spring of 2001. So it wasn't that long ago, but I think it's going to be quite a while before there's another Republican senator from Vermont. But we will see. Uh, but yes, I mean, obviously, all the issues that John Kennedy laid out there are critical. I think he crystallized them well. Uh, and depending on who's got the majority and who's got maybe even a one or two seat buffer there uh, is very, very critical as well, because we're already hearing what the Biden administration is planning to roll out. And it's not what conservatives are going to want to see enacted. And so having a place in the process to basically bring all that legislation to a halt is, is going to be critical. And uh, no one's better at making stuff die in the Senate than Mitch McConnell. So let's give him the chance to do that, Georgia. You can do it. We're confident. All right, let's talk about caucus room here. And it's one thing to listen to podcasts about politics. And I would say that's a very important one thing to do, just to listen to podcasts about politics, especially this one. We love that you do it. But there's also a time to do something about uh, the valuable information that you get from folks like us. In an age where conservatives are silenced and censored, it's time to speak up and it's time to take action. But luckily, there's now caucusroom.com, which is an online community exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather, encourage, and engage locally. Now, only real people who are verified conservatives can become Caucus Room members, but Caucus Room will never share your information with anyone else ever. The sign-up process ensures that you're communicating with real conservatives in your area and interest groups, not bots or trolls. Caucus Room allows you to engage with your neighbors. You have no idea how many conservatives are hiding in your neighborhood. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference, and that means locally. You might not feel emboldened to put a yard sign in your yard, you know, this past year or in the coming years, but if you knew there were more conservatives in your area, you might all feel better doing it together. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure, the platform played host to more than a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions this year. You can also share news, jokes, and find ways to get involved with causes near you. 
all without fear of Silicon Valley overlords stopping you. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized locally, take action, and make a difference. So join caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M dot C-O-M today. Caucusroom.com. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And the good news, of course, on COVID this week is that Pfizer has a vaccine that is more than 90% effective. And there are other companies who seem to be close and having success as far as we can tell with their clinical trials. Um, And we'll find out, I'm sure, their official results fairly soon. But the question, of course, is how to re-enter what used to be normal. Can we get back to normal? And what's that going to look like if we do? Well, Ticketmaster has perhaps broken the mold here on how they're planning to get back to normal. And let's just say it's making more than a few folks very uneasy. Billboard.com actually broke this news. And so it says Monday's news that pharmaceutical company Pfizer's early results on a new COVID-19 vaccine show a 90% efficacy rate on an initial clinical trial have given concert professionals hope that the business can start mounting a return in 2021. As part of that preparation, Ticketmaster has been working on a framework for post-pandemic fan safety that uses smartphones to verify fans' vaccination status or whether they've tested negative for the coronavirus within a 24 to 72 hour window. Many details of the plan, which is still in development, will rely on three separate components. The Ticketmaster digital ticket app, third-party health information companies like Clear Health Pass or IBM's Digital Health Pass, and testing and vaccine distribution providers like LabCorp and CVS Minute Clinic. Here's how it would work if approved. After purchasing a ticket for a concert, fans would need to verify that they have already been vaccinated, which provides approximately one year of COVID-19 protection, or test negative for coronavirus approximately 24 to 72 hours prior to the concert. The length of coverage a test would provide would be governed by regional health authorities. If attendees on a Friday night concert had to be tested 48 hours in advance, most could start the testing process the day before the event. If it was a 24-hour window, most people would likely be tested the same day of the event at a lab or a health clinic. But the bottom line here, Jim, is Ticketmaster is not going to let you into a concert unless you have proof that you've been vaccinated in the past year or have a negative COVID test sometime in the last three days. I don't know if this is going to start a trend in this direction, but if uh, the ticket to get back to normal is uh, presenting your papers, so to speak, on your vaccination or antibody status or your your negative COVID test, there's going to be a massive backlash here, and it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, look, anytime you got to show your papers in, in some sort of way, it's, it's it has really unfortunate connotations. Two thoughts that come to mind: the first is about the the test, you know, the idea of having a negative test. Look, I know some places are, including some states say, before we allow you into the state, we want you to have proof of a negative test or something. A couple of weeks ago, I was able to take a test. Everyone has said I've been very negative regarding the coronavirus all this year. And I'm pleased to say that that's been medically uh, <laughs> determined as well. Uh, thankfully, came back negative. But you know, I tested, I want to say on a Monday, I think I got the results back on a Wednesday afternoon, late Wednesday afternoon. Now, all the tests can tell me is that the time they do the test on Monday is that you don't have the coronavirus. It's entirely possible, thankfully seemingly not, that between Tuesday and Wednesday, I could have caught the coronavirus. I could be walking around having been infected and potentially contagious and not know it. And that walking around holding up this, this negative test, which is perfectly accurate. And oh, by the way, there are some tests that have uh, you know error rates. Um, you know, that, that, this one of those things, the, the idea of saying, well, we need people to show proof of negative test. 
that's going to help some. It's probably not going to do it. Now, there are arguments of saying we're going to see much faster processing, instant tests, things that are, are instant tests that are much more accurate. That could probably change things. If it's simply a matter of, you know, doing them at home or something, well, maybe we'll have an easier time with something like that. And that's for the vaccination records. You know, I, I can understand why they're doing this. A couple of days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, Michael Bay, uh, who, who's arguably one of the greatest directors of all time, if you like explosions, um, <laughs> has a film coming out called Songbird, in which it's a, a dystopian sci-fi set in the year 2024, where the SARS-CoV-2 virus has mutated and the pandemic has gone on for four years. I don't recommend watching the trailer if you're currently upset by what's going on in the world right now. It's very dystopian. The you know people who are sick are forced into quarantine camps, brutal restrictions, and basically they're left there to die. And it's America's a police state and, and all that kind of stuff. There's no indication we'll ever get to that. But the idea that, well, no, you haven't gotten your vaccine yet. You're not allowed to uh, attend this concert. You're not allowed to at some point conceivably you're not allowed to go into this building you're not allowed to go here you know this, these these are restrictions upon americans liberties we've never seen before and doing it in the name of medical health isn't really that much more justified i'm hoping that whatever concerts we by the way if you're going to do a concert don't do the concert in february if it's going to take a few months for this to get out to the general population maybe we're thinking like may maybe june summer stuff like that in other words the idea of hey concerts are back but we've only been able to vaccinate let's say you know 20 percent of the american population well people are going to have very people could be understandably very upset about that i think this would exacerbate the quite the tensions about who gets the vaccine and in what order so i i understand why Ticketmaster's thinking this way there's some really unfortunate implications of all this and i think uh, the more we go through this pandemic, the more trust in the government to manage these sorts of things in a fair and understanding way keeps eroding. So Ticketmaster, you got to be really careful with stuff like this. But the question now, does this does, do the airlines pick up on this? Uh, other places that you would kind of need to go to but are going to drop the hammer on this. And the other thing that, that I wonder, especially with uh, folks like Cuomo and, and Whitmer and other people who love to have the power, are they going to mandate people get the vaccines? Because that's another area where I can imagine a lot of pushback. Yeah. You know, again, but keep as of just a few weeks ago, Kamala Harris was saying, well, if the if the if Trump's comes out with a vaccine, I don't trust it. Right now, there was no but the, the whole idea that Trump was going to rush out a vaccine before Election Day. Well, we're now more than a week from Election Day. So that prediction turned out to be uh, paranoid conspiracy mongering. Um, the vaccine, has, you know, will be coming out. It's going to be completely verified by all kinds of health experts, the FDA. I really don't like this talk from Cuomo, and I think it's probably Newsom who had these comments along these lines that, well, we don't trust the FDA. We don't trust these uh, big pharmaceutical companies. We're going to wait for our, our own experts at the state level to verify whether this uh, vaccine is safe. Look, this really should not be supremely controversial. And you'd like to think that people who, you know, recognize the danger of the coronavirus and who want to not have to live with that danger of the coronavirus, you know, even if they are at a extraordinarily low risk uh, category, the idea that you don't want to pass this on to your your parents or your grandparents or, or your elderly neighbor or anything like that. Um, you, you'd like to think that the, the anti-vaxxer uh, philosophy would remain fringe. If politicians keep making comments along these lines, well, it kind of adds a little fuel to the fire there. So, um, this is, you know, it's been an extraordinarily disappointing year. 2021 is a chance for us to 
get a fresh start on all this stuff and I could deal with a lot less paranoia uh, as we try to get our work our way out of this pandemic. Yeah, you got to love it when the party of science says, I'm not sure I trust that FDA. But if my party gets to decide who runs the FDA, then I think it'll be accurate and we can all trust it. That that builds confidence. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. On every edition of the Sarah Carter podcast, I say we're taking back the story. And that's exactly what we have to do. Whether it's the Russia hoax, the relentless attacks on President Trump pretending Antifa doesn't exist, or covering up for the repressive Chinese government, the mainstream media isn't interested in the truth. It's up to us to uncover the truth and share it with others. Please join me in taking back the story on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about our crazy martini now and back to Georgia. We're going to be talking about Georgia a lot here in the next few weeks, I have a feeling. But, uh, Jim, we mentioned this in passing the other day. Tom Friedman, of course, is a New York Times columnist. He thinks he's a genius on the Middle East. I think that's very much in doubt, uh, but he's decided to weigh in on domestic politics here, which, of course, is his right, but it doesn't mean he's very smart. Uh, he was on with Chris Cuomo of CNN uh, the other day. I think this was Tuesday. And he has decided that because these two Senate races are so critical for the Senate majority, and if there's a Biden presidency and a democratically controlled House and the Democrats can get the Senate, oh, we can finally accomplish all these things we've always wanted to accomplish. Well, he's got an idea for how to make that happen. Democrats, eh, just move to Georgia for a few weeks, vote, and then go back home. I hope everybody moves to Georgia, you know, in the next uh, a month or two, uh, registers to vote um, uh, and votes uh, for these two Democratic senators running against, incidentally, two Georgia senators, both of whom were investigated for what? For getting a briefing on the coronavirus and then selling stocks before the public was aware of that information. Both of them were investigated for that. Yeah, and both of them were cleared. So thanks for uh, bringing that up, Tom. Uh, so, Jim, what do you make of this? Uh, a lot of folks on Twitter, and you don't necessarily know who you can believe on Twitter, saying that's absolutely vote fraud. Uh, other people are saying it's all hands on deck here. So, A, do you think this is going to happen? And what do you think of an idea like this actually getting airtime on what used to be a respectable place like CNN? So we want to get lots of people moving from one state to another right as the pandemic is getting worse for winter. Is that, is that the plan there, Greg? <laughs> I guess so. Second thought, yeah, my folks live in South Carolina, but we, we go across the border into Savannah usually at least once a year. Georgia is a kind of a nice state, folks. You, you, if you want to move there, the, the real danger is you might stay. It's, it's actually a really nice place to live, you know, whether you like uh, big city Atlanta or the historic Savannah, maybe some, you know, uh, more more picturesque small towns. The real danger is you may end up having uh, these people move and stay there. Uh, but by the way, here's the thing. I mean, like, I guess one question I would put to any, you know, Democrat thinking of doing this, does this strike you as fair? I mean, do you think, we don't like it when, say, uh, people who live, split their year between New York and Florida. Uh, and Florida likes to check on people to make sure, and New York likes to check on people. If you're only supposed to be registered to vote in one place. If you vote in two places, obviously that's a crime. But let's say you don't, you know, let's say you spend more of your year in New York than in Florida, but you choose to vote in Florida because Florida is a swing state and New York is not. Is that fair? Right? Is the idea that you should vote where you live, is, is that really this, you know, a terribly controversial concept in our politics? Is that cheating of some form? Because, you know, dear, you know, dear Democrats, are we really asking for something unreasonable when we ask that if you live in New York or 
uh, any one of the other 49, st- 49 states that you you vote in the state that you live in. You don't try to do this, you know, hopscotching. Oh, yeah, I just moved into the Hyatt. I'd like to register to vote uh, type gamesmanship or something like that. I don't think people will do this in significant numbers to swing the election. Let's remember that uh, Purdue was, you know, he, he was below 50, but it was not really that close. It was, you know, a margin that... Uh, very hard to imagine it. And also, if you see, you know, convoys of moving trucks moving into Georgia, I don't think that'd be the sort of thing that'd be tough to hide. And I also don't, again, I think the expense of moving is pretty significant. Could you probably be able to use a hotel as your permanent address when registering to vote in Georgia? I'm trying to think, like, how you would swing that. Maybe you need, like, an extended stay type place or something like that. Maybe Or maybe Airbnb sort of thing. But uh Anyway, again, it just kind of indicates how important these folks believe, you know, the election laws must be uh, followed. And then, of course, like, no, but you can move around from state to state and vote as, vote as often, you know, anytime you like. Kind of ridiculous. And, you know, Tom Friedman should know better. But um, my expectations for Tom Friedman evaporated uh, a long time ago. The world is flat, Greg. <laughs> so he says. So he says. Um, Jim, I believe it was Bobby Kennedy that became a New York senator living out of a hotel room. So if a candidate can do it, maybe the voters can. I certainly don't recommend it, though. Let the people of Georgia also, wait, decide. When Ossoff ran for the House, didn't he not live in the district? Well, that that varies from state to state as well. I don't know what the exact rules yeah, on that but here's the, like, Residency for Democrats is just there. You know, <laughs> That's right. Run wherever you want. Vote wherever you want. You know. Wow. Did Ossoff ever marry that girl? I know he said he was going to. But, That's uh, the other thing. And boy, <laughs> if that wasn't a fantastic romantic comedy gift, a romantic comedy screenplay idea. Or alternately, like, that, there's your Hallmark Christmas movie. All of a sudden, the press got questioning about why he'd been dating her for more than a decade. We are going to know more about these four people than you ever wanted to. You're going to know more about them than your actual neighbors. So uh, just get ready. Jim, it's going to be fun, hopefully. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at caucusroom.com. And also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We love those kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on your home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great Thursday, and we'll see you Friday on the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.